Hi, I'm Busrat Afrata, and you're listening to In Praise of the Margin, a podcast where we rethink hegemonic knowledge production practices through the politics of space, writing, and research beyond the divisions and bounds of north and south, margins and centers. On this episode, I chat with Rashmi Sadana, who's an associate professor of anthropology at George Mason University. Her research focuses on change in forms of identity, such as class, caste, gender, religion, and language, in post-colonial urban India. Her current research concerns the globalization of India's cities with a focus on gendered citizenship, notions of the public and public spaces, and the politics of urban design and development. Her recent book, The Moving City, Scenes from the Delhi Metro and the Social Life of Infrastructure, published by the University of California Press, narrates the rich and intimate account of urban transformation in Diddy through the metro, its landscape, and infrastructure. On the yellow line, a woman sits nursing an infant, not more than 20 days old. We are not in the ladies' coach, but in a mixed one, where, on this morning, the ratio of men to women is about 20 to 1. A glass panel with a map of the metro system is all that separates me from the woman. I can tell she is not poor, but also not well off. She has dark chipped nail polish on her toes and wears a nondescript sari with a frayed light sweater. It's summer and it's cold inside the train. She looks like a first time mother to me, awkward in her feeding technique. She has the baby wrapped in a blanket on her lap. I feel protective toward her, but keep quiet and start to make up a story in my head to explain why she's taking the metro. I look around to make sure no one is looking at her, and yet I also don't want to invade her privacy, even as a well-wisher or a would-be protector. There are two men who seem to be with her, but they are stern and silent, and I find this off-putting, maybe even a little distressing. Then my stop comes and I get off. At Patel Chalk Station, there is a new display board at the Metro Museum, on the main concourse. The display lists about a dozen cases of Metro train drivers stopping just in time to save a passenger who either jumped or fell onto the tracks. The display is meant to honor the drivers for their nimble, life-saving responses, ones that stopped the trains just in time. The information is presented as a grid, including the cause of the train stoppage. One entry details that the person who had fallen onto the tracks was drunk. Another describes how a man and child were walking along the tracks. This list, I soon realize, is also meant to tell people what they shouldn't be doing on the metro. I wonder what this man and child were doing, perhaps looking for a place to sleep or following the tracks to find a destination. It's a scene you might see on railroad tracks on any given day or hour, but the metro is not amenable to this kind of improvisation this kind of jugad. In the ladies' coach, Manasi tells me, there are so many girls working. We need more women's coaches. If I'm a girl wearing a short dress, I might not prefer the general coach. I don't know what kind of person I'll meet in that coach. It is like that. Her friend Ekta chimes in. The yellow line is more civilized. The blue line, people are weird. Ekta, who like Manasi is in her 20s, thinks of herself as a child of the metro generation. People in buses are more friendly, she says. There's more adventure. In the metro, it's boring, sophisticated, but not friendly. 
there's no color, you can say. I wonder if she means that her generation shares more qualities with the Metro as she describes it. But before I can ask her, she and Manasi are off the train. Rajiv Chalk Station is jam-packed on the platforms. The flow of people at this central interchange beneath Connaught Place is akin to a tidal wave. You have to move with the wave in the direction it is going and hope that it's where you want to go. It is a festival, a mela of movement. I step inside where there is a large sign hanging from a low railing that no one seems to notice about escalators and elevators and how to use them. Families pass by carrying big plastic blanket bags filled with household items. Three middle-aged men wrapped in beige shawls and bright yellow turbans follow them. Dozens of young women and men in their 20s wearing jeans and Converse-like sneakers, they all sport earbuds and are glancing at their phones, rarely talking on them. One young woman wearing a short top and green leggings with tan ankle boots stops to ask me how to get to Malvianagar. Take the yellow line toward Huda city center, I tell her. At the northern end of the yellow line, a dusty path traverses block after block of low-income housing. I walk for an hour and see nothing resembling central Delhi. This is a working class community that all of a sudden feels included in the city, connected to this gleaming train. Women living here have stated that they feel safe to venture on the Metro alone. And for the first time will go to India Gate without their husbands. And as I sit outside the station one afternoon, I see these women coming and going with suitcases and parcels or just with each other. Some of them use the ends of their saris to cover their heads. A cycle rickshawala outside the station tells me that now most of his trips involve ferrying people to and from the metro. It has been good for business, though he has yet to ride it himself. Where would I leave my rickshaw, he asks. What inspired you to ride on the metro scene in Delhi? And how many hours did you spend on the metro? <laughs> okay. First of all, thank you for having me for this conversation. I will say that two things came together that led me to do this project. The first is that I'm an urban anthropologist and I'm fascinated by cities. I'm interested in urban cultures and subcultures. I have always enjoyed and been interested in public transport, especially metro and subway systems. And I think this is partly because I grew up in Los Angeles, which when I was growing up had very little, if any, public transport. And so I've always been interested in the way you know, when I've been to cities like London or Paris or New York, these were the cities I was first exposed to that had metros. I was always fascinated, not just that you could get around, but the way it gave an identity to a city and the way there was a cohesiveness that it created and that the way people identified with the metro as being part and parcel of their urban experience. Most of my life, I've been visiting Delhi, going to Delhi. My parents are originally from Delhi. They migrated to North America in the 60s. And so I was always taken to Delhi. Delhi did not have a metro in all the decades when I was growing up and used to go there. In some ways, it kind of reminded me of, of LA. It was sprawl. It was not only a car culture, but of three-wheeler, two-wheeler, four-wheeler culture of you know road traffic and that kind of thing. And so in the early 2000s, when the first line of the metro was opened. I think by the time I wrote it, there were three lines because that was the first phase of the project. And I got on this train, the metro, I was traveling underground towards Connaught Place. And really in that moment, I had an aha moment. And I just thought, I can't believe there is a metro in Delhi. 
what is it going to do to the city? How is it going to compress the city that is sprawling? How are people going to engage with this new technology? How is this going to change things? It's such a closed environment. There's so many protocols to get in and out. It's such a contained environment with the lights, with the flooring, it's sealed up. It's this bubble that's recognizable in terms of so many cities around the world. And yet it's in India. And I knew that that interface between the city and the metro was going to be something that I really wanted to, to understand and study. And I knew that it would be different than London or New York or Paris or Hong Kong or wherever else I'd been on metros. The project came partly from my understanding and knowledge and experience of having spent so much time in Delhi and my interest in public transport and you know the issues of mobility and class and uh, all of that that go along with it. And so these two things came together, public transport, subways, and the city of Delhi. I once did count how many hours, roughly, and I've clocked over 4,000 hours on trains. This is fascinating. How did the metro as a mega infrastructure shape Delhi's landscape, not just the mobility landscape, but also its surrounding? I'm always interested in hearing and reading about this transfer of Western models of city planning to the global south especially mobility planning, because it's very different from the Western context, given that we have different modes of mobility. Did you see any tensions between the formal and the informal in Diddy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what drew me to this project as well. This, what I mentioned before was the interface. What's interesting about transport in Delhi is that there are so many types of conveyances, as you mentioned, formal, more informal, and everything in between, really. Um, and sometimes it's hard to say if it's formal info or informal. I mean, cycle rickshawwalas on one hand, you know, they are the poorest of the poor migrants who come to the city, often from neighboring states, Bihar or from Bangladesh. You know, they're working 10, 12 hours, often in the heat, um, cycling, making, you know, maybe 500, 800 rupees um, in a day if they're lucky. They, they rent their um, cycle rickshaws. They're considered a nuisance by middle-class and upper-class people in their cars. People say that the metro is a lifeline in the city. Okay, that's, my, that's probably true in many ways, but the cycle rickshaws are a lifeline of a different kind. They provide that last mile connectivity. Most people looking at the metro are not thinking about the cycle rickshawwalas because the metro is you know, this multi-billion dollar you know, mega infrastructure. But for me, as a Diliwala or part-time Diliwala, I'm you know, I see the metro as part of a larger transport landscape that includes auto rickshaws, e-rickshaws, pedestrians. Most people in Delhi walk. Most people don't have any kind of conveyance, as well as cars, as well as trucks. And then there are buses. You know, it's not that there is no public transport. There, there are buses. And often people, when I interviewed them over the years, they would contrast the experience of the bus with the metro. Many people take the bus and the metro. So for me, this was really important. And this is where the interest in the project was, was this interface. Because, you know, as you're saying, it's, it's not a global North city. It is a global South city. It has a different rhythm. It has different qualities. It has different weather. It has a different constituency. I mean, the Metro, I think of it as a transnational or global infrastructure. The making of it was very much a transnational project. You had engineering expertise, urban planning expertise from so many different countries 
that helped the Delhi Metro Rail Corporation make this, this mega infrastructure. The minute the Metro opened or even before during the construction, that interaction between you know, so-called Western technology and Indian ground reality comes into being, but it's already been going on through how people are being trained in India. Indian architects and others would go to Japan to learn about how to do stuff, including, by the way, riding a metro for some of them for the first time in Tokyo. And that relationship was important because the Japanese funded most of the metro through loans um, to the Indian government. That's how this project really got going. So what's Western, what's Indian? You know, it's a blurry line as well. You studied a metro scene in three parts, crowded, expanding, and visible, which were also the titles of the three chapters in your book. Could you tell us a bit about the inspiration behind these titles and how does crowdness, expandability, and visibility challenge the size of the city and its borders? And how did these concepts help you frame the metro scene? The metro distills the crowd in a different way. I was interested in not just the crowds that you see, but how you feel a crowd in a different way when you're in a train, how you notice things about crowds when you're on a platform waiting to get on a train. It's this experience of the crowd that is different. It's the meaning of a crowd. There's a new meaning of crowd in Delhi now because of its metro. And I attached it to part one rather than the other parts, which also you know, have to do with crowds in different moments, because I think that was one of the first things that struck me in that phase one of the construction of the metro, when that phase opened was, was this new distillation of crowd. With expanding by phase two, you really had a sense of the system expanding, of pushing into different places in the city. So into Noida, which is actually in the state of Uttar Pradesh, um, but is part of Greater Delhi, um, pushing down into Gurgaon, which is in the state of Haryana. So expanding means the borders of the city. And many cities are defined by the ends of the lines, where the metro ends up or where it goes. And then the last one, visible, again, you know, it's relevant to all three parts. That has, visible has more to do with the culture of the metro and how the metro becomes, you know, such a recognized social space and social object. So it's not only about transport and where it will take you to, but it's also about a social space, you know, and about what becomes visible in that space. The things you see, it is yet another stage on which, you know, to think about, you know, like the sociologist Irving Goffman, it's, it's another stage in which to perform, in which to notice things. I found myself noticing things, different kinds of people um, in different ways by the time this third, uh, you know, phase was completed. And I think that it has changed and is changing the city in a quite profound way in that respect. So visible is about what becomes visible, but then of course, you know, with the idea of visible always comes the idea of invisible as well, right? Um, you know, the Metro, it is a social leveler a little bit, but not totally. Um, a lot of people don't ride it because either it's too expensive or it doesn't go where they want to go. Some people feel intimidated by it. Um, that was more the case earlier on with the first phase, but but even now, you know, Delhi is a city that's constantly expanding and contracting in the sense that people are constantly coming in and, and going out. You know, you always have new people in the city. Um, and so I would always meet people who, you know, they were on the metro for the first time or they had just started riding it or something like that. I have a question on adaptation and how these projects and spaces get repurposed in the global south 
especially since we have informal mobility stations where constant placemaking happens there, especially socioeconomic activity. And of course, the metro in the West sometimes acts as a non-space, while it's not the same for mobility or transit spaces in the South. I'm curious if this is also something that you've noted in your observations. Yeah, so the metro is a contained space. It's in some ways a sanitized space as compared to the street. One of the first little essays I wrote about the metro was, it was called The Metro in the Street is, you know, you get into the metro and all of a sudden you're in air conditioning, which is a big thing in a city that, you know, has summer temperatures in the 40s. You're in this air conditioned space with fluorescent lighting, with, you know, newly mopped floors, even flooring. That's another thing. You know, now you're at stations where you can buy momos and samosas and have a mango lassi, you know, inside a metro station because of the different eateries that have popped up. It's, um, it's adapted to the Indian consumer as well in those respects. It's true that the aesthetic, the design principles are similar to what you find in cities around the world. One of the things I was struck by was learning that the divider between the women's coach and other mixed and general coaches on a train is invisible. There's no physical divider. It all happens in the same space. I'm curious what's the public's perception of this invisible barrier that is supposed to create a safe environment for women? It's a good question, right? And this is something that I spent hours thinking about and studying and observing. For some, they don't even notice it. So it becomes a self-patrolled space as well for women. So men, if they come and sit, which happens, you know, all the women in the car will kind of stare them down and the guy will usually leave. But people do, and women really have claimed, you know, it's called the ladies coach. That's what they've named it. They really have claimed that space. You know, it is different than, you know, having a completely separate space. And so I think, I think that fluidity is good, frankly. Um, you know, I think people on transport should get used to the idea that there are going to be a lot of women around and, you know, they need to behave themselves <laughs> or, you know, just get used to it. Um, the first several years of the Metro, there was no ladies coach. And so everybody was just riding together. And now many women, um, most women do take the ladies coach, but many women don't. And so if you go into a mixed coach, you'll find women there too. But the ratio of women to men is much less, you know. Rupali. Rupali rides the metro each day from North Delhi to her job as a teacher in South Delhi. She also likes to read stories about metro happenings in the times of India. For her, the metro is not just something she rides, but it is a total social experience that encompasses how she sees and interprets the city the running of the trains, and the running commentary about the trains. There was the time, for instance, when a girl was sitting with her boyfriend in the ladies' coach. As the coach got more crowded with each stop, women started to ask the boyfriend to leave the coach and give them the seat. His girlfriend was defiant, however, and put her hand on his shoulder, not letting him get up. The girlfriend told the women to go to another coach to get a seat. She defended her boyfriend's right to sit there in the ladies' coach. Then the Metro police arrived on the scene and the boyfriend got up right away. Then there is the young couple Rupali notices every morning walking to her own Metro station. She's never talked to them, but by watching them each morning, she speculates that they are newlyweds living in a joint family. 
and that the few minutes walk to the station each morning is their alone time. It's in their gestures and the way they look at each other, she tells me. A recurring theme in Rupali's stories is that women don't always act as one might expect them to on the Metro. She says, I think people think Metro is for relax. It's my space and if I adjust for someone else, it takes away my privacy. So in the bus, there's more of a sense of community and the Metro is more anonymous, I ask. Yes, she says, but not so anonymous. The same people ride the Metro every day. Women who were in my coach yesterday, I see them the next day and the next, but with no smile, nothing. You are there, I am here, fine. Very few women begin to talk to each other. Colleagues will talk to each other. Everybody is busy with their own things, but people are reading more, especially girls. They're reading books, newspapers, and ones from that day only, not old papers. Women in the ladies' coach, in Rupali's view, are not so much sisterly as territorially inclined, never willing to give up a seat, even to another woman who is much older or visibly pregnant. And it's true that the real value of the ladies' coach, beyond the certainty that no one will touch you inappropriately, is the ability to get a seat. The ladies' coach is not just a safe space for women, but is also a numbers game. You can almost always get a seat more easily in the ladies coach than in a general coach. And when the ladies coach is filled up, women traveling together will expand the seating space by sometimes sitting on each other's laps. For longer commutes, getting a seat is key. Some might say sport. Once procured, a seat will likely never be given up. I like the style of fragmentary rewriting and and it fits even more with temporary spaces or spaces of transition because most of the interactions that are happening in these spaces are limited between two stations. And that's why I wrote the book um, in the form of these vignettes as well, because I wanted to mimic kind of the stop and start feeling, that fragmentary feeling that <laughs> that is really, that's how cities are, that's how cities feel. Are there any exchanges or interactions you've had with Metro writers that did not make it into the book and that just remained in your field notes? It's probably mostly in the book. One of my favorites, um, it's called Asif. The interchange at Hoskos Station is one long slick concourse connecting the magenta and yellow lines. It is an awesome space with a sea of people, numbers which I haven't seen on the Metro quite in this way before. The width and length of the concourse shapes the sea into a massive undulating wave, a hum of voices and shuffling feet. And then after some time, it peters out and returns to a flow and then a trickle. Then emptiness with only the lights bouncing off the walls. When I reach the yellow line, I notice a young man in a wheelchair rolling fast down the platform, pumping up his arms. He's nothing short of exuberant. At the ladies' coach end of the platform, he slows down and is met by a DMRC staff member who helps him maneuver his wheelchair so he can get on the train. I get on and see this man, not in the designated wheelchair area behind the train operator cabin, but holding on to one of the metal poles. He has a confident air and it's clear he's enjoying himself. I decide to approach him and find out that his name is Asif that he's 30 years old 
and has been riding the Metro for the last year. The Metro is great, he says, a one of a kind transport in the city. No other public transport works for me. One day last year, I said, I'll go by Metro today. I wanted to see the accessibility. It was exciting. I bought a token at the ticket counter and a staff member there asked me, do you need an escort? The escort took me to the train. It was a very nice experience. That day I realized I can travel if connectivity is there. In this city, there's hardly a ramp to get into shops. Wherever I go, I try to sensitize people. At Domino's, I tell them, look, get a ramp. People like me will come and also buy your pizza. We have to go places, to the cinema, to restaurants, wherever. Recently, I took a bus just to see. The bus driver had a hard time lowering the ramp, and then the ramp was in bad condition, as if it hadn't been opened before. The driver told me almost no one ever asks him to open it. My only complaint about the metro is when the lift isn't working. Then I have to take a cab or an auto. Even at big metro stations, there's only one lift. We reach the INA metro stop where he's getting off. We exchange contact details before he is met by a staff member and quickly rolls away. I learned some things about myself, you know, doing this project. I mean, I never thought I would be talking to strangers on a metro train in a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'd had few interactions here or there over the years on metros in other cities that are, you know, that can be nice where you are surprised by an interaction. But, but this really became my method. And I was really doing it all the time, which was to try to have conversations with strangers. And I'm not such a outgoing person, you know, as that. And I think I learned that, okay, I can be this way. And I can actually be more open with strangers than I thought I would be able to be. And again, part of it was the environment of the Metro. And then part of it was, you know, I did take joy in in just talking to different kinds of people. Um, And, you know, this idea of anonymity is there. um, But it's also interesting how anonymity can dissolve quite quickly. You know, even after talking to somebody for a few minutes, you immediately see that person and their face and their, you know, gestures in a different way once you are actually having an interaction with them. So there was something quite um, meaningful about that and sometimes quite beautiful, actually. Thank you, Rashmi, for chatting with me, another fellow urban transportation enthusiast. (laughs) I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. And you had... You had really great questions. Thank you for listening. You can write to me at Instagram or Twitter or at bushra at imprayseofthemargin.com. Stay tuned and see you next time.